You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Venom Audio Network. This episode of The Way Home Podcast is brought to you by our good friends at the Christian Standard Bible. Just a quick word about the CSB translation. I have come to really enjoy it and love it over the last couple of years, and I use it in my preaching and also in my personal devotional study. Well, I'd like to commend to you uh, the CSB Single Column Bible. It's one of the first Bibles as part of the Holman Handcrafted Collection, and it features an elegant single column page design with wide margins printed on high quality Bible paper to enhance readability. This is a really nice Bible. It's handcrafted with the highest quality authentic grain genuine leather and constructed with a Smithstone reinforced binding with edge line and leaves. This distinctive Bible is guaranteed to last a lifetime. I don't know about you, but I've been through several Bibles in my preaching, teaching ministry, and there's something about having a good Bible that feels good in your hands, that is easy to read. Also, the single column is really nice for readability and has just a lot of really uh, great features in it. It's got wide margins so that you can do some writing and journaling in there if that's what you like to do. You can get 30% off this Holman handcrafted Bible if you use the code the way home at lifeway.com. So go to lifeway.com and use the special code the way home and get 30% off this Holman handcrafted Bible. Hello and welcome again to the Way Home Podcast. I'm so glad you're joining me. This is Dan Darling and I am so honored that you are here today, whether you're uh, doing your chores around the house or perhaps exercising, or maybe this is part of your commute, hence the term, uh, the title of my podcast, The Way Home. Maybe you're listening on The Way Home. I don't know, uh, but glad you're here with me. If you like the podcast, I just want a uh, quick reminder, can you uh, give me a shout out on iTunes or wherever you listen, give me a rate and review, that helps other people notice it as well. Also, if you haven't already, you need to go to Uh, my website, danieldarling.com, and subscribe to my newsletter. It's called One Little Word. There's both a free version and a paid version. There's a free version where I send an update every week, some of the things I'm writing, and maybe some things I'm reading, links, books, uh, videos, etc., things I'm seeing that might be of interest to you, and if you want to keep up with my work and my writing. If you'd like to get the paid version of my newsletter where I I do an exclusive essay, Also, we'll have quarterly Zoom calls with some interesting folks on things like writing and leadership, some other special bonuses. You can do that as well. It's only $5 a month, $60 a year. I'd love for you to be part of the One Little Word community. Go to my website, danieldarling.com, and sign up for the newsletter. Well, today we have a great guest. Uh, I am always interested in people who are talking about the intersection of work and faith. I, I don't think people talk about this enough, even though the work and faith movement has really kind of taken off in the last decade or so, uh, I still run into a lot of people who wonder how their nine to five work experience fits into the plan of the kingdom of God. And so I'm always wanting to put books and other things forward that help that I've written a lot about this myself. Well, there's a new book called Redeeming Work, A Guide to Discovering God's Calling for Your Career by Brian Dick, who is a PhD. He's a theologian. What I like about his work is he not only really talks about the theological basis for work, why work matters to God and why it should matter to us, but really leans in a lot with some practical and biblical advice on how to find your calling. 
how to make a decision about the next job, how to make a decision about this next career move. Maybe you're in a transition period. Maybe you're thinking about moving on somewhere. Maybe you're trying to figure out what am I good at? Where are my skills? Uh, I've been in those seasons myself. This book will really be important to you. And uh, I think you'll enjoy this conversation. I ask them a lot of questions about these kinds of things, uh, about work, about making decisions, about, uh, you know, sort of reassessing your life at various points. So uh, I think you'll enjoy this. So let's join our conversation with Brian Dick. I'm glad to have on the podcast Brian Dick, uh, who is uh, got this great new book called Redeeming Work, A Guide to Discovering God's Calling for Your Career. Brian, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate that. Well, thank you so much, Daniel. It's an honor to be on your podcast. When I saw this book come through, I was really excited. You know, I've, I've really been a champion of the work and faith movement, uh, and I, I really feel like it's an important movement among Christians to really recapture a doctrine of uh, vocation, a doctrine of creation within our space and really ha- empower people uh, in the work that God has called them to do. I'd love to hear for you how this kind of came became a, a focus of attention, uh, what your background is and, and why you felt like this was something you really wanted to study. Sure. Well, um, I mean, there's a long answer to that question and a shorter one, and maybe I'll shoot for the middle. Um, you know, I'm, I'm someone who, who grew up in the church and uh, who, um, you know, for whom faith has been very important and, and grew up within a tradition that really emphasized that if your faith means anything at all to you, it's more important than just what you do on Sunday. It's something that is relevant for all of life. And, and so I was sort of inclined to think through um, all aspects of life, certainly including work, as um, being an area where we can glorify God. And so I've, I've always been drawn to that. But uh, as I was coming to age, I kind of struggled personally to, you know, make decisions that aligned well with my faith perspective as it applies to my career. And through a series of providential ironies, I ended up uh, becoming a vocational psychologist and early kind of focusing on research theory and, and practice related to career choice and development. And as somebody who's, who's uh, always tracked the conversation in the faith and work movement, it just has kind of repeatedly struck me that uh, a lot of the very rich resources from which I've benefited immensely within that movement have been generated by uh, business leaders, pastors, theologians, all of them with very important perspectives, but there just wasn't a lot of attention being drawn to empirical research within my discipline. And and I thought, you know, there's something that's missing there. And so I felt compelled, called to um, write a book that pulled together both theological thinking about faith and work, and also what we know works from research and practice related to vocational psychology. I grew up in the church myself. And one of the things that really attracted me to really thinking about the integration of faith and work is I felt like a lot of time in my church experience that there was almost a sort of unspoken kind of caste system where people who, like myself now, who are called to vocational Christian ministry on staff at a church or getting a paycheck from a 501c3 Christian organization, a parachurch organization, we are the real 
missionaries and followers of Christ were the real called and everyone else is sort of there to, you know, tithe your money to fund this thing, uh, to maybe be able to evangelize at work and slip a track into the, under the cubicle or, you know, to provide for your family. And all those three things are great and important, but the, the actual work we do never saw like super value in it in terms of connection to, to, uh, our theology into our faith, you know, and I had a dad who was a, a lay person who was very faithful in the church an elder and was a church all the time. But I always felt like in my view, he was made to feel like he was almost on the, on the junior varsity team. Right. Sure. And so I've been really attracted to that. It does seem like in the last 10 to 15 years, there's been a recapturing of the doctrine of vocation. And yet I still think a lot of Christians go to church every Sunday feeling like the only chance I get to serve the Lord is on Sunday. So I would love for you to maybe talk about still that need for us to affirm the callings and the vocations of most of the church. I mean, if we think about most of the body of Christ is not, um, you know, vocational professional Christians, if you will, they're, they're working in the marketplace. Yeah. I mean, what you're describing is, uh, you know, there's a long tradition of, of Christians thinking about faith in a pretty narrow way. Um, and, and a way that I think leads to, you know, a separation of sacred and secular spheres of living. And we take that into the way we think about the world of work often. So you're right. I mean, missionaries, uh, pastors, those in quote unquote, full-time Christian ministry, they're doing really important sacred work. And maybe if I was really serious about my faith, that should be the first thing I should consider vocationally. Um, whereas what everyone else does is of, of kind of secondary importance. It's not as, as spiritually important or relevant. And, you know, this is a way of thinking that's rooted in Greek philosophy. Um, you know, Eusebius, an early church father in the fourth century, um, wrote that, you know, folks who worked in the monasteries had uh, were doing the kind of work that is spiritually sanctioned and everyone else uh, was doing what, what um, or could achieve what he referred to as a kind of secondary degree of piety. So it's this, you know, um, separation of sacred and secular. And, and I think there has been a greater awareness of looking at the Bible um, in a much broader way of focusing not just on fall and redemption and, you know, the work of the cross being about connecting human relationships with God again, um, but being far more cosmic in scope, right? Um, and, you know, the Bible being a grand narrative rooted in creation, fall, redemption, and renewal. And, you know, the implications of that being that the cross is, is cosmic in scope. It, it didn't only uh, restore human relationships with God, it, it um, put the whole creation on a path toward renewal. And, you know, that that speaks to the reality, the truth that Christ is Lord of every square inch of creation. And that means that wherever we find ourselves vocationally across the whole world of work, provided we're, you know, doing honest uh, work, then that means we have a mandate as believers to recognize Christ's lordship. And so all areas of work then are spiritually significant and and uh, important and and you're right that's not something that's a really strong message 
uh, from the pulpit in most churches on Sundays. We don't hear a lot about that. And it's one of the great services, I think, of the faith and work movement to really call attention to the broad scope of where people are called to serve. And it's uh, things that you mentioned, evangelizing to coworkers, very, very important. But the work itself Mm. is spiritually significant. And part of using our gifts to glorify God through the work itself is, I think, a very important part of our call to be faithful uh, in this life. Yeah, I mean... I have found as a pastor, just when I kind of think through a doctor of vocation publicly and affirm as worthy and good the work that our people are doing nine to five, it's amazing what that does for people. I've had people come up to me and say, you know, I've been working in a cubicle my whole life or I've been working in, um, you know, in sales or I've been working, you know all this stuff, different things. And I never saw my job as part of the kingdom of God or the work itself as important, uh, but that God actually cares about the work we do and that when we create and we build, we're imaging a God who creates and builds and and everything. So I just love uh, that you're doing this work. Um, you talk in here about some myths that I'd love for you to go through or, or, or half-truths, I think you say. One of them is that God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. You say that and other half-truths. What are some problems with some of these things that we, we, we say? Well, we can start with that one you just mentioned. I mean, you hear this from time to time. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And usually... This is uh, intended to be a word of encouragement to someone who just just feels like poorly equipped or overwhelmed with a set of responsibilities or tasks that they find themselves doing. Um, But one of the things that we know both from New Testament principles on on spiritual gifts and and the way that generalizes outside the church, uh, but also research on um, what makes work meaningful and fulfilling to people, it's this idea that we have gifts, you know, we're made in uh, uniquely. Um, you know, I mentioned Paul talks about this in several places in the New Testament. Uh, we're different. We're different from other people. And so part of understanding our callings, uh, because God doesn't often uh, communicate them directly, like in an audible voice, a key pathway to understanding what we might be called to do is to pay attention to our gifts, our interests, our values, our, our you know, organizational culture preferences, our abilities and skills, all of that. And that means that um, when we choose a path, we can do so informed by an understanding of what our gifts are, knowing that the way God made us has some implications for where we're, you know, really well suited to serve within the kingdom. And once we make that choice, God will bless us. We can trust that he will equip us uh, once we discern that calling. But it doesn't mean that we're, we're poorly equipped, you know, when we embark on a calling. Um, so that's a half truth, right? And people usually refer to, you know, Moses uh, when when they say that God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Moses was concerned about his ability as a public speaker. And so, you know, God provided some assurances, also gave him his brother Aaron, said he'll do a lot of the talking for you. But, you know, it is interesting to think about why did call, God call Moses to lead his people out of Egypt? you know, might have had something to do with the fact that Moses floated in a basket, was retrieved by, um, you know, Pharaoh's daughter and grew up within the palace. I mean, in some ways, of all of the the Hebrew people, he was uniquely equipped 
to engage in this sort of plea with Pharaoh. Um, and so, yeah, he wasn't perfect. He had some shortcomings and, 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 you know, God used, uh, him and, and sort of compensated, helped him compensate for those, but it wasn't a totally random either. You know, he was ordained for this purpose and, and had some unique experiences that really did make him well-equipped, uh, for mm-hmm. that task. So, yeah, I, I like that. I mean, it's, you know, the fact that all of us are, you know, what does it say that uh, Paul says, not many wise, not many noble are called, that God does just use ordinary people for his kingdom purposes. Also does not mean that we, it's not a license to not prepare and not equip and not, as Paul also says, whatever you're having to do, do it with your might. Like, it's not an excuse for laziness and being ill-equipped. And I, I love that you kind of deconstruct some of our bad thinking on that. Yeah, it, I would just say, Daniel, it's also, you know, I think, a lot of Christians, when they're trying to discern what their calling is uh, for their career path, they take the approach that I took as a 19-year-old, um, which I now call the, the pray and wait approach. It's the sort of like just pleading with God for a divine revelation. You know, I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll serve wherever you want me to serve. Just make it really clear to me. You know, this was my approach as, as a young person, and, and I don't think I expected an audible voice. Uh, to, 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 you know, to answer that prayer. But I did expect that I would have some kind of aha moment or, or some sort of like spiritual awakening, or one day I would just sort of wake up in the morning and know, you know, with this clear mm-hmm. sense of conviction. And I think by focusing so much on praying for a divine revelation, um, I, I, I just became very passive, you know, <laughs> and I think what I missed out on is the reality that there are things that you can do uh, while you're praying uh, for guidance, um, you know, that help answers to that question emerge. So, you know, I tell people what I would tell the younger version of myself is, look, pray over this matter, but don't just pray and wait passively for a divine revelation, you know, pray and ask for divine wisdom and then do some things, you know, do some things to, to help make an informed choice. That's part of what with, I think wisdom in the sort of discernment process entails is paying attention to your gifts, using resources available to you to understand how you're unique and then explore opportunities and needs in the world and, and find where those things align. Um, that I think is something that a lot of Christians are slow to realize or come to grips with. One area that you talk in here that is really, I'm so glad you tackled. I mean, part of what you're doing in this book is also just talking about calling and discerning God's will with some really helpful stuff. Because I think a lot of times Christians are very kind of confused and sloppy in their thinking on this. There's a couple things you tackle in that chapter that are interesting for me. One of the myths is um, if I'm not careful, I might miss my calling. And you, and you talk in here about Sometimes we look at a job or a calling like a soulmate with the soulmate concept of marriage that there's, yeah, you know, that there's and, one person in the universe for me, yeah, and you probably someone something. at my college, <laughs> yeah, 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 this idea that if you miss out, and I grew up thinking this about a lot of things that there's a center of God's will, and if you miss out, and then you know, everyone you're going to be a plan B or plan C, and which is really not how God works, but you say here discerning. 
and living a calling represent an ongoing process, not a once for all event. Please talk about that because I found that in my own life, that there's seasons, there's chapters that we do need to make good decisions, but that God is directing our steps even as we're making decisions. Yeah, you know, we, we want to follow God's will. And it's a tricky question. What exactly do we mean when we say we want to follow God's will? Because scripture is very clear about certain ways of talking about God's will, God's will of decree, you know, everything that that occurs is ordained by God. That's clear in scripture. And God's uh, will of desire, you know, his desire for us to be obedient um, to, you know, his, his um, kind of plan for our lives, his, his uh, commandments and, and so forth. That's very clear. But when we're thinking about discerning a calling, usually we're talking about will of direction. You know, what does God want me to do next? And for a lot of people, it's what job should I pursue or what major should I declare or what courses should I take next semester? And, you know, that I, I do think we get locked into this very narrow way of thinking about that where there's one right answer and I need to figure out um, what uh, God's plan is and then choose that. And if I get that wrong, I'm going to be doomed uh, to live outside of the center of, of God's will. But, you know, I think it's a much better way to approach it, to realize that God does give us freedom. There's probably a reason that he doesn't always make things crystal clear for what we do next. He asks us to make choices with wisdom. And, and so, you know, we can make a, a choice and move forward trusting that God will, you know, if we make that choice wisely, like attending to our gifts, paying attention to needs in the world, leaning on the counsel of, of um, admired, you know, people who, who we trust and who have our best interests in mind, we go through a process like that, then we can go forward trusting that God will use our choices to align with his ordained will, right? And, and so I, I think that means that there are multiple ways to get it right. You know, there's not just one right answer. There are, there's a, there's a range of things that we can choose that align with, you know, God's will for our lives. And then we can um, move forward toward those things, trusting that God will work things out. And that's, I think, freeing for folks once they start to realize that. Um, so, you know, you've got an array of options, you know, that plans A, B, and C um, seem to be about, uh, equal in terms of how well they fit and, and all of that, that stuff, um, and better than D, E, and F, choose any of those um, because any of those will end up being something where you can express your gifts in ways that make the world better, bringing God glory, um, and, and he'll bless that. But, but yeah, to your, to your earlier, you know, to part of your, your, your point, your question, um, this is an ongoing process. It's not a, a once and for all event, right? So, a lot of times there's so much pressure applied to this question, what should I do with my career? The reality is there's going to be lots of changes for all of us, especially in the current world of work. And, and so part of living a calling means you're always asking this question, what can I do next? You know, what, what kinds of things should I be doing to enhance or expand uh, my calling? And most people, there are definitely common threads that tie together the different things that they do over the course of their career, but it's usually not just one thing. There's lots of change. Mm. Uh, I love that you quoted from Kevin DeYoung's excellent book, uh, Just Do Something, which I recommend every every young person read, um, especially if you grew up in Christian circles. And it's kind of like the, 
you know, in paralysis by analysis, indecision. I'm waiting for for God to announce my next job move, you know, in, in the sky. And one of the things I try to tell young people is your next, you know, when you come out of college, your next job, that's not the rest of your life. It's an experience where you can grow and learn. Uh, you're going to have seasons in your life. And so I think your book is really helpful for that. I want to encourage young people to, to consider it. It's called, it's called Redeeming Work, A Guide to Discovering God's Calling for Your Career. And uh, we'll have links to this in the show notes. Um, you have a lot of practical stuff in here about things like what works in a job search, um, how to evaluate, how to have good discernment, how to kind of think through your gifts. Um, so you you really have good theological uh, foundations for people when they're thinking about their calling, but then you also have some real practical things. Uh, maybe share a few tips that you would give uh, the audience as, as they're evaluating their calling. You know, maybe someone's listening who is thinking about a job change or what they need to do next, or maybe they're at a point in their career where, you know, I think sometimes we get, uh, and I was in this place, I think right around when I turned 41 of like, okay, I know what I can do. I know what I'm good at. Where do I want to do that? And how do I want to do that? So maybe give a few tips, a few practical tips to folks who are in that season. Sure. Um, well, one of the things that uh, readers of the book can experience is um, an online assessment system that we created called Pathway U. So, um, you know, for free, uh, for readers of the book, you can log in and create a profile and take a series of assessments that help you understand yourself better in terms of your work-related interests and values. And then we have some um, patented algorithms that take that information and combine it and then suggest some pathways that are predicted to fit you well on the basis of your unique profile. And then, you know, links to all kinds of information. So this is a very concrete, practical way. I mean, it's easy to talk about, understand what makes you unique. And the question is, well, how do I do that? And, and here is kind of one very specific way of doing that, engage that assessment process, and then see what types of pathways emerge from that uh, as predicted good fits, and then learn about them. Now, it's an assessment system. It doesn't answer the qu your questions for you if, if your question is, what should I do with my life? Um, but it sort of builds on this notion that wise decisions are informed decisions. And so making decisions with wisdom, I think, means using resources available that provide good information that you can use to kind of increase the odds that what you do next aligns well with um, how God made you and, and, you know, what you're going to find most meaningful and purposeful. So that's one. You know, the other types of things that I explore in the book are just things that we know work from, from research. So, you know, we're talking about the job search, for example. You know, what actually makes a difference and for people who are on a job search? What separates uh, the people who are successful with their job search from the people who aren't in terms of their their process. And so I pull together evidence that suggests that part of it is self-presentation, you know, sort of understanding the rules of the game and being able to kind of build a cover letter and a resume and some of those nuts and bolts types of things in an effective way. But then some of it is just recognizing the psychological components of staying motivated and keeping active and treating every rejection as just sort of bringing you one step closer to the acceptance that you're looking for. And then kind of a leaning on, on your community and support structures to help 
keep you motivated, recognizing that that motivation is very difficult if you are encountering obstacles, uh, but is absolutely key to getting you, you know, to the goal you're trying to achieve, which is, which is finding a position that aligns with your calling and allows you to live it out. Um, so there's, there's, there's lots and lots of kind of very nuts and bolts details in there, but those are two that would come immediately to mind. That's really, that's really good. And, and I'm curious what you think, and you probably have research on this, um, but you know, this kind of stages of our careers, right. Where, you know, at least for me, my experience was, you know, in my, I kind of knew in a very broad sense, some of the things I would like to do or thought I, I could have a chance of doing or, you know, enjoyed doing in my twenties, but then kind of you working different jobs, figuring out what you do, like what you don't like. There was a lot of discovery of like, here's actually what I don't enjoy doing, which leads me to the things that I do like in the fields that I'm in. By the time we get to your, my thirties, I felt like I, I kind of figured out, okay, here's, here's what I, what I'm good at. Here's what I'm not good at. And as you move into your thirties, things start to narrow for me, right? You know, you start dropping things that are good, but not where your best talents are are going. By the time you get, I got to my forties that I have a good sense of the two or three things I can do well. And I kind of want to stick with that. And I feel like I'm at a place where I've had enough hours in where I've mastered what I can do. I feel like I'm, this is what I'm good at. That seems like the process for most people, right? In terms of kind of discovering their callings. And then of course you have folks who, once you're in your kind of 50s, 60s, 70s, you're in a kind of advisory, sage role, leadership role. Maybe explain some of those seasons and stages. And I'm, I'm curious what your research shows in that. Yeah. I mean, what you're describing, it's actually kind of a complicated question because on the one hand, I think what you're describing is, um, is this grand narrative of how careers unfold over time. Uh, And so it starts with growth when you're a young person and it moves into exploration. And then when people uh, move from their 20s into their 30s, it's the establishment phase. And then it moves into kind of a, a, a management maintenance phase and then deceleration and retirement and all of that. And that's kind of what we all orient to, those stages that unfold over the course of a career. Uh, but increasingly, you know, within recent decades and now, uh, we know that the world of work is changing so rapidly that uh, stability is now the exception. It's not the rule, the sort of increase. And so most people can expect to change uh, jobs and or career paths almost every four years. Um, in fact, there's even a term for that, the four-year gig, um, the four-year career uh, that, that young people are beginning to plan for and orient to. So that does kind of speak to the, the um, reality that chosen, you know, by choice or not by choice, there is a lot of change that we'll need to plan on and expect. And so one of the core competencies that I think is required, essential in living out a calling, knowing that change is going to be so dominant is adaptability. You know, the ability to really um, understand shifting tides and being able to navigate that in a way that allows us to, to stay faithful to the big picture, right? And so, yeah, there are, I mean, for sure there are different types of themes that correspond to different life stages. Um, but I think 
for young people now, probably one of the most essential skills is learning to adapt and learning to cope with change, knowing that change will be coming. Um, so that really is key. I'm also curious about, you know, we're talking about the perspective of, of folks working, but I know you have a word for those who are employers or people who are hiring. And, you know, one of the things that I've tried to do a little bit when I've been in a position to is, you know, obviously you're evaluating talent to put on your team has, to, you know, they have to have character, they have to have competence, they have to have, uh, be a fit with the culture. But if there's an opportunity, one of the things I've, I've really enjoyed doing in the last few years is, is trying to give someone a chance who maybe is an up and comer, or maybe you, you can be the person that gives them the first line on their resume that kind of gets them their start in, in the field or industry. Uh, what advice do you have for people who are hiring, uh, who are, you know, trying to evaluate people who are searching out jobs and trying to help, you know, build someone's career, give them opportunities? Yeah, I th I'd say hire for fit and train for talent. Um, so, you know, so many employers are so focused on evaluating the question, can this person do this job? And um, I, I think a lot more attention needs to be devoted to the question, does this job align with this person's sense of purpose? You know, um, because sometimes you find somebody with lots of skills and they can do the job, but you pour resources into training them and then realize that they don't really love it. And, you know, they, they end up leaving for another opportunity somewhere else six months down the road or something like that. Uh, so to me, I mean, obviously you attend to, does this person, is this person above threshold in terms of their ability to do the job? But then within that, it's, does this job align with this person's passion, you know, with their sense of purpose, with what really matters to them uh, in, in life? If you're able to identify people who really fit well, then you can train them on the details of carrying out the work provided they have that kind of requisite level of ability. But, you know, it's hard to convince a person that th this is something that's in their wheelhouse. You need to find people for whom that fit really is in place. And it's just the other side of the coin, really. I mean, all this advice that we give people about finding their niche is focused on, you know, wh where's the fit, right? How are you unique? And then what does that mean in terms of opportunities and needs in the world? The flip side of that is if you're an organization, it's what individuals from among this array of people I have to choose from is going to be the optimal fit for this role and is going to be most formative in helping us meet our goals. And, you know, the specific skills, that stuff will come, but it, but it's hard to kind of train fit. You really have to find it at the outset. Mm. So you say, say that again, what you just said. Hire for fit, train for talent. Yeah. So yeah. can you flesh that out even more? Uh, well, sure. I, I, I think when I say that, what I'm focused on is not so much the question of how do you find the best performer, but it's how do you find the person who's going to be successful in the role for the longest amount of time? It's, it's, it's a turnover question, right? So um, you can train people to do the work, right? And, and to meet the performance benchmarks, but you need to find people who are the right fit for the role. Um, because those are the people who are going to have the highest level of motivation. It's going to matter the most to them. They're going to be the most committed and ultimately they're going to stick around the longest. So to me, fit is the first question. And then, 
you know, the will they do the job? Will they be motivated? Do they love it? And then the can do is, is secondary. Um, as we're, as we're thinking about calling and work, a couple other things I wanted to talk with you about before we finish, but the world of work is changing, Mm -hmm. um, in many ways with the rise of, um, AI with, you know, things being more automated, explain how we think about calling in a, in a changing work environment. The other thing I think about is not just the nature of our work changing, but in this economy, it doesn't seem like you have as much the kind of model where you work for an, a, a corporation or even a nonprofit or ministry for 25 years 30 years and collect your pension, there's a, there's a increased mobility. So how do, how do we adjust? How do we think about work well in a changing world of work? I think it's important to acknowledge, it's a great question, Daniel. I'd say it's important to acknowledge that callings transcend job titles. So I've been very privileged to lead workshops all over the place. And I ask people when I'm in a room with them, how many of you think of your work as a calling? And usually, you know, I'm in an organization that cares about this stuff and that's attracted people who care about it. So it's usually half or more who raise their hand and say they think of their job that way. And then I ask them, how would you describe what your calling is? And almost no one uh, answers that question by saying what their job title is. So, you know, I mean, I work at a university. People don't say I'm called to be a biology professor. They say instead something like, I'm called to help young people think critically and creatively about the world, or I'm I'm called to help um, people develop new skills that will help them be successful and make the world better. You know, it's these sort of broad um, goals that really transcend any particular job title. And part of what is important to recognize in that is that means that there are probably multiple jobs that would help you achieve that, you know, that would, that you could pursue that would help you sort of be faithful to that calling. And so recognizing that there's lots of change and that employers are increasingly not loyal and um, are hiring people on a project basis, I think part of that means increasingly we are in the driver's seat of our own career paths. We don't have, you know, we can't really lean on our employers to help chart out a path for us. We have to make those decisions. But also it means that, you know, defining what really matters in our career means moving beyond sort of the day-to-day of, of my specific job title, whatever it is. And it's looking at these broader goals that transcend those things and then recognize that, hey, there's lots of different ways that I can pursue this calling, you know, um, whatever it is. So let me just sort of see what options are available to me and choose the ones that will allow me to do that in this next season of my life praying and kind of resting on the knowledge that God's going to be faithful to you as you um, work to express your gifts in that role to bring him glory and to make the world better. Uh, Last question. Uh, A lot of pastors and church leaders listening, what word would you give them as they're helping people think through their careers? I I think this is one area where churches can really do more. Uh, in terms of mentoring, particularly young people trying to start out and figure out what they want to do, you know, people graduating from college could really, I think, use some direction of, hey, help me figure out where I should be headed or what decisions I should make here. Um, uh, where do you see my gifts and talents? Uh, yeah. Can you give a word to, you know, 
pastors, youth leaders, youth pastors, mentors, small group leaders, as they're filling uh, maybe a role of, of helping folks kind of figure out where God wants them to be in that season? Sure. A few things. I mean, first of all, it's important to acknowledge that people really are interested in this. I mean, they want their faith to be relevant outside of the church, you know, in the world, in the real world, in the way they engage in, in the world around them. So there's a real, a real hunger for kind of wanting to understand what that looks like. And so your answer, ha- I think, has to really be expansive and have to acknowledge that it's a lot more than just ask for time off so you can go on short-term missions trips. Uh, and although that's a great thing to do, um, it also is more than just sort of, you know, witness to your coworkers. That's also important to do. Uh, it, it means, I think, helping people understand that the Bible is a, is, um, a story about the whole world, creation, fall, redemption, renewal, and that understanding that, that, you know, Jesus is Lord over every inch of creation means that whatever path you pursue uh, vocationally in the world, um, you have an, an obligation, a responsibility to express your gifts in ways that um, partner with Christ in that work of redemption. Uh, knowing that, you know, at, we're, we're approaching this time when everything is made new, you know, and our contributions to that in the work itself uh, is, is building toward that. And we'll be made perfect on that day when Christ returns. That's a great way to end here. I want to encourage folks uh, to get this excellent book, Redeeming Work, A Guide to Discovering God's Calling for Your Career. Um, There's also a helpful profile to help you kind of uh, figure out maybe a good place to to channel uh, your efforts on that in here as well. We'll have links in our show notes. But uh, Brian, thank you for joining me today. This is very, very helpful uh, and I hope uh, a lot of people take advantage of, of uh, the really important work you put in here. Thank you, Daniel. And thank you for the important work you do within the kingdom. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit danieldarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at at Dan Darling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. I also want to encourage you again to check out my latest book, Away With Words, and you can visit awaywithwordsbook.com. Thank you for listening again to The Way Home Podcast. This is a production of the National Religious Broadcasters. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app.